Chapter Twenty Five of Bullets and Billets by Bruce Bairn's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Five: Getting Stale, Longing for Change. We leave the Duve on the march. Spotted fever. Ten days rest. The Duve trenches claimed our battalion for a long time. We went in and out with monotonous regularity, and I went on with my usual work with machine guns. The whole place became more and more depressing to me, and yet somehow I have got more ideas for my pictures from this part of the line than any other since or before. One's mental outlook, I find, varies very much from day to day. Some days there were, on which I felt quite merry and bright, and strode along on my nightly rambles, calmly ignoring bullets as they whisked about. At other times I felt thoroughly depressed and weary. As time wore on at the Duve, I felt myself getting into a state when it took more and more out of me to keep up my vigor and suppress my imagination. There were times when I experienced an almost irresistible desire to lie down and sleep during some of my night walks. I would feel an overwhelming desire to ignore the rain and mud and just coil up in a farm amongst the empty tins and rubbish and sleep, sleep, sleep. I looked forward to sleep to drown out the worries of the daily and nightly life. In fact, I was slowly getting ill, I suppose. The actual rough-and-ready life didn't trouble me at all. I was bothered with the idea of the whole thing. The unnatural atmosphere of things that one likes and looks upon is pleasing. Peaceful objects in ordinary times seem now to obsess me. It's hard to describe but the following gives a faint idea of my feelings at this time. Instead of deriving a sense of peace and serenity from picturesque country farms, old trees, setting suns and singing birds, here was this wretched war business hashing up the whole thing. A farm was a place where you expected a shell through the wall any minute. A tree was the sort of thing that gunners took to range on. A sunset indicated a quantity of light in which it was unsafe to walk abroad. Bird singing were a mockery. All this sort of thing bothered me and was slowly reducing my physical capacity to stick it out. But I determined I would stick to the ship and so I did. The periodical going out to billets and making merry there was a thing to look forward to. Everyone comes up in a rebound of spirits on these occasions. In the evenings there, sitting round the table, writing letters, talking, and occasionally having other members of the regiment in to a meal or a call of some sort, made things quite pleasant. There was always the post to look forward to. Quite a thrill went round the room when the door opened and a sergeant came in with an armful of letters and parcels. Yet during all this latter time at the Duve I longed for a change in trench life, some activity, some march to somewhere or other, anything to smash up the everlasting stagnant appearance of life there. Suddenly, the change came. We were told we had to go out a day before one of our usual sessions in the trenches was ended. We were all immensely pleased. We didn't know where we were bound for, but anyway we were going. This news revived me enormously and everything looked brighter. The departure night came and company by company we handed over to a battalion that had come to relieve us and collected on the road leading back to Neuviglise. I handed over all my gun emplacements to the incoming machine-gun officer, and finally collected my various sections with all their tackle on the road as well. We merely marched back to our usual billets that night, 
but next morning had orders to get all our baggage ready for the transport wagons. We didn't know where we were going, but at about eleven o'clock in the morning we started off on the march and soon realized that our direction was Belul. On a fine, clear, warm spring day we marched along, all in the best of spirits, songs of all sorts being sung one after the other. As I marched along in the rear of the battalion at the head of my machine-gun section, I selected items from their repertoire and had them sung by request. I had some astonishingly fine mouth-organist in my section. When we had In the Trail of the Lonesome Pine sung by half the section with mouth-organ accompaniment by the other half, the effect was enormous. We passed several battalions of my regiment on the road evidently bound for the Armentier's direction. Shouts, jokes, and much mirth showed the kindred spirits of the passing columns. All battalions of the same regiment, all more or less recruited in the same counties. When we reached Belul, we halted in the square, and then I learnt we were to be billeted there. There was apparently some difficulty in getting billets, and so I was faced with the necessity of finding some from my section myself. The transport officer was in the same fix. He wanted a large and commodious farm whenever he hitched up. Countless as he had a crowd of horses, wagons, and men to put up somehow. He and I decided to start out and look for billets on our own. I found a temporary rest for my section in an old brickyard on the outskirts of town, and the transport officer and I started out to look for a good farm which we could appropriate. Belul stands on a bit of a hill, so you can get a wide and extensive view of the country from there. We could see several farms perched about in the country. We fixed on the nearest and walked out to it. No luck. They were willing to have us, but it wasn't big enough. We tried another. Same result. I then suggested we should separate and each try different roads, and thus we should get one quicker. This we did, I going off up a long straight road, and finally coming to a most promising-looking edifice on one side, a real large size in farms. I went into the yard and walked across the dirty cobbles to the front door. The people were most pleasant. I didn't understand a word they said, but when a person pushes a flagon of beer into one of your hands and an apple into the other, one concludes he means to be pleasant anyway. I mumbled a lot of jargon to them for some time, and I really believe they saw that I wanted to use their place for a billet. The owner, a man of about forty-five, then started a long and hearty discussion right at me. He put on a serious face at intervals, so I guessed there was something rather important he was trying to convey to me. I was saved from giving my answer by catching sight of my pal, the transport officer, crossing the yard. He came in. I brought Jean along to talk, he announced. Jean was our own battalion interpreter. I can't find a place, but this looks all right. Jean and the owner at once dived off into a labyrinth of unintelligible words, from which they emerged five minutes later. We sat around and listened. Jean turned to us and remarked, They have got fever here, he says, what you call the spotted fever. How you say spotted fever? And this farm is out of bounds. Oh, spotted fever. I see, we both said, and slid away out of that farm pretty quick. So that was what the farmer was trying to say to me. Spotted fever. I went down the road wondering whether cerebral meningitis germs preferred apples or beer, or perhaps they liked both. Awful thought. We went back to our original selection and decided to somehow or other squeeze into the farm which we thought too small. 
Many hours later we got the transport and the machine gun section fixed up. We spent two nights there. On the second day I went up into Balul. Walking along in the square, looking at the shops and market stalls, I ran into the brigade machine gun officer. Topping about our brigade, isn't it? he said. What's topping? I asked. Why, we're going to have about ten days' rest. We clear off out of here tomorrow to a village about three miles away, and our battalion will billet there. Where we go after that, I don't know. But anyway, ten days' rest. Ten days' rest. Come and split one at the Falcon door. No, thanks. I've just had one. Well, come and have another. End of chapter 25. Recording by Philip Gould.